Welcome back, everyone, to the Business Bullseye. I'm TJ Reed here with my co-host Seth Stone. Seth, how are you today? I'm great, man. I'm still uh enjoying the victory for UM Monday night in the Rose Bowl. So big <laughs> UM fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rubbing it in with me as an Ohio State fan. Ohio State. And you as a I, can't, I, fan. I can't even believe we're friends, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that it doesn't matter as significantly to us as it does maybe to some other folks, but probably probably not. I'm still going to pretend you're not an Ohio State fan, but um... <laughs> I think we'll get along a lot better that way. So we, we won't right, ask so... Michigan or Ohio State bullseye or BS because I don't I don't think that would be fair. So that's not that's not fair because I mean really neither one of us are right, but we are talking about if the customer is always right. We are, the, if the customer is always right. So that's kind of like our fun phrase today, right? The customer yeah. is always right. Is it a bullseye or a BS statement? So I feel like this is like a, this is kind of a fun out of out of left field topic, especially for early in the new year, right? Everybody's talking about goals. There's like 10,000 pieces of unsolicited advice on my LinkedIn feed today about um, what I should do to get my crap together in 2024, right? Yep. Um, but, you know, is this a is this a is this a um bullseye or bs statement um it's bs man it's just it's it's it, it's a you have some good nuggets of history on this one so i'm i'm gonna let you you take that part but um you know i think it's it, it, certainly there's cases where you can you could still make the argument for it today right um and i think we're gonna dive into that but in some ways it's it's antiquated and i think there's some really kind of important things we need to parse through from a from an organizational perspective from a leadership management perspective right um to kind of you know test this thing for its merits but you know from where i from where i sit it's it's bs what about you i think i land there with you that it's bs um the phrase that i often heard replacing it which i think that maybe explains more my position is the customer is always relevant i think is a much better way to put it like when you look at the equation the customer is always a relevant part of it that we need to think through um but i agree with you i don't believe that the customer is always right i believe that if we believe that it can go down the wrong path and maybe lead to some destruction for the customer if we don't redirect or help them navigate the the terrain of what we're trying to implement sell them etc i mean in my own experience i when when something gets messed up when i buy something or or i order something um i neither feel right or relevant <laughs> as i try and resolve it so yeah, that's my own personal beef with this whole thing right um but you know you're right i mean there's there's negative consequences on 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 both sides of it. So let's, let's kind of, you know, maybe if you want to trace it back to the origin and then we can kind of start from there. We're going to go back to a time that maybe some of our listeners will remember the 1900s. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not 1909 where the phrase yeah, came from, say, but okay, the yeah, 1900s. The 1900s yeah. My daughter asked me the other day, were you born in the 1900s? Oh my God. And I had to say, <laughs> yes, I was. <laughs> But but the phrase the customer is always right. It was coined in 1909 by Harry Gordon Selfridge, and so uh, his nickname was the Earl of Oxford Street, which is kind of a cool name if you ask me. Um, 
but uh, he basically like founded Selfridge's department store, which still exists in the UK. Um, but what was interesting to me is he actually grew up in Chicago, was born in Wisconsin, grew up in Chicago. He worked for Marshall Fields department store as a stock boy, and he worked his way all the way up to becoming a partner there over a 25 year career. And then as he got married to, uh, a wealthy woman in, uh, from a wealthy family in Chicago, uh, they ended up moving and, uh, opening Selfridge's store there in uh london and so it's it's interesting because I, I think that some of the truth of this that has lived on is because of maybe that long career he had of serving people in the department store business um that like led him to that conclusion that the customer is always right see there's just all kinds of like red flags and bells going off for me this is successful guy from chicago right uh -huh. marries into a wealthy family like he's got it going on yeah what what does he need to leave the country for? Like who ran him out of here? What's the deal? <laughs> I you know, like, I, this is all suspect to me right off, right out of the gate, man. Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I I I'm, not, to... I'm not looking for you to, I'm not looking for you to re refute that statement or anything. I'm just saying, you know, but anyway, so, all right. So this dude goes over to London and he has this customer's always right. Right. Yeah. Successful. Right. The store, the store still exists. Um, but the the landscape of retail and, and just the way we shop and do business has changed a lot since 1909. I think we can all agree with that. Right. Yep. So. Where's the disconnect between how that worked then and and where we are today? So let's let's bring it into today's modern world, today's megalomaniac shopping store Amazon, right? Yeah. <laughs> is the customer great. always great, right? Great, great place to start. Yeah. Yeah. Is the customer always right when they write to that person on Amazon? I feel like for the most time, like when I'm trying to get a refund on something that I wasn't going to get a refund on, they usually say that I'm right and they'll help me with that. But um, I wonder uh, where that's shifting and changing as well in our modern landscape. But at what what cost is it to them, right? I mean, they they have they have bots and other things, and it's funny we're going to be talking about AI one of these episodes coming up soon. But right, they have they have all these things integrated that they can make this experience easier for you, right? It's not necessarily requiring the people power, right? That it might have in a traditional department store setting even twenty years ago or ten years ago necessarily. So. Um, you know, some businesses maybe can still, right, through a very impersonal experience, treat you as though you're you're always right, and and yeah. you know, so maybe maybe there's maybe there's value there. You know, maybe it's a it's a cost issue. I mean, I you know, I I did some looking because this whole thing just from a just you know kind of at face value, this this customer centric concept. Um, really from a sales perspective right um yep. it's a little outside of my wheelhouse right and i think i think we're going to talk about this from a management leadership organizational structure perspective here in a little bit but i think we're kind of teeing that all up right now so but so i i was looking at some different statistics and, and things like that and um when you think about uh the customer always being right you know what do you what do you what do you 
generally leaning towards, I mean, generally to me, that has to do with kind of the customer experience, right? Like what kind of experience are they having? Um, I think it's easy to go to places like, you know, at, at the restaurant, if, if your meal comes out and it's, it's not right. Yeah. I mean, did you order this or that? Yeah. I mean, that's, those are pretty cut and dry things, right? And those are the, the right. kind of easy examples, but there are, there are more nuanced things I think now in, in terms of experiences we pay for, because that's what we do a lot of, right? It's not so much like, oh, you walk into Macy's, you buy a shirt and a pair of pants, right? Um, a lot of what we pay for and a lot of what we consume, um, certainly in America is experiences, and those yeah. things that, that we that we pay for. Right. Um, so I saw a survey from Forbes in 2022. So, you know, it's not old, but it's not like yesterday, hot off the press. Fifty eight percent. They say 58 percent of consumers will pay more for better customer experience. Um, more of those folks tend to be younger than older. Right. So um, millennials and Gen Z are, are, are willing to pay more. Older folks who have kind of been there, done that are a little more cost conscious. Um, that same survey said 70% of people would uh, pay for a more convenient experience. Um, hence, DoorDash, Instacart, uh, these things that we sort of use yeah. all the time now, right? But then then I saw another survey uh, company, Mintel. Um, they're big in, in the kind of consumer, I guess the consumer understanding space, right? Um, they say 60% of customers go on price over customer experience. So. Who do you, the, the reality, so my point being, my point, yeah, my point being, I think you can, you can find a million ways to parse this data out, right? right. You can get, you can, you can, if, if I want to, if I want to find the right sample, um, if I want to find the right industry or industries, I can kind of manipulate this and make it say whatever I want, right? Um, ultimately. And so I don't necessarily know that pointing to the data is, is really helping us out here. I think, I think, I think we have to bring it back more into who we are, who are we as a business? And what is it that we're trying to achieve? I don't know. What do you think of that? Right. Well, like, as we're thinking about those different surveys, I wonder if even that last survey you mentioned, was that done in like the height of inflation and things like that, where they're trying to prove a point that price is most important. And Totally. Totally. <laughs> I think so. I, I think like the end game in today's market with a lot of online services and things like that is happy customers. That's kind of the the end goal because happy customers are what's going to distinguish you from other people. Happy customers are the ones that come back because they're happy. They enjoy the experience or whatever. Happy customers are big one here, ones that will promote you to others, whereas ones that have a terrible experience with you will absolutely crush you online if you're not careful, especially with smaller businesses that are trying to make it and things like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, this so this begs the question for me. What is the criteria for a happy customer? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't I don't know the answer. I mean, I, I can tell you what makes me happy as a customer, but is that is that gonna make you happy? Is that gonna make other people happy? Like I like when I have a login to a particular place I like to do business. Okay, let's stay with Amazon, right? Um, they have my credit card saved, they know my address. Um, I can do one click buy from my phone. It's it's easy. It's fast. I'm going to find what I want. I generally know what the price point is I'm looking for on a particular thing. I'm usually not venturing out too crazy in terms of um, new things that I'm going to buy. Right. So they, they make it fast. They make they, they give me a fast transaction. I don't think anyone most likely. I mean, 
obviously it could happen. I don't think anyone's going to hack my credit card on, on Amazon. Right. I, I kind of trust that it's relatively secure. So yeah, that makes me happy that that might not be enough for other people. So yeah, when I, when I think of like my, my wife, when she walks into a store that has a, like a huge store that has everything under the sun, she gets overwhelmed. I appreciate the choice that comes with places like that. But for her, she goes, I hate it. And it stresses me out. So yeah. How do right. you, how do you deal with varying customer desires and experiences? So, so does that mean that I guess with Amazon and a lot of different types of customers can come through there, but with your business, like a smaller business or something, is it, is it important that you find your niche and deliver on what your niche is asking for? Or does that, kind of give you tunnel vision and you can't really break out of that to increase your customer base? I mean, it's a good question. Um, I think some, some types of businesses either are or feel forced into putting customer service above all else. Yeah. And and I'm not just talking about restaurants and hotels, right? Like what we typically think of. Um, let's take, for example, the, the two businesses I have, right? One of them is a consulting business. Um, you know, I, I deal with small to mid-sized organizations and, you know, usually executive level type stuff, right? Um, whatever. And then on the completely opposite end of the spectrum, I own an online baseball card shop, right? So two very different businesses. For better or for worse, I have to make sure, in one, my customers are happy. Uh, two, my clients are happy. And and that kind of is a, that kind of has to be a priority for me. Um, so it's funny, like, I think the, oh, the whole customer is always right. Is BS. And I do think it's BS, right? I do totally think it's BS because you have to decide at a certain point what type of customer you're willing to accept as a business. And I think that's a foreign concept to a mm -hmm. lot of business owners, especially small, medium sized. I'm talking, you know, any, I'm literally talking solopreneur to, you know, say five, 700 employees, small to midsize. Right. Um, I think that's a pretty foreign concept, you know, like it, it, cause usually the, the goal is, is, is growth, right? It's, how do we get, how do we generate more revenue? How do we get more customers? The question is seldom, you know, what kind of customers don't we want? But I think that's a really important question. Yeah. Obviously, once you've scaled to a certain size. Yeah, like if, if you're, if you're building, you're just kind of like, I, I'll, I'll figure it out, you know, with all of these different people, but you're right. Like figuring out who, who doesn't work for this? Like, I think, you know, an, an important thing is like, who's spending money with you <laughs> and yeah. consistently who's spending money with you. Those are definitely voices you should listen to. Um, but at the same time, like if you, if you own, if you're a solopreneur, you like, I watched my wife go through this with her own coaching business. There's some folks that she goes, it's just not working with this person. Like I, like as, as much as I would like it to be like a match with us, I love that they want to come use this. It just doesn't seem to be working here. And so figuring out like who's going to utilize your product, your business, your services, um, I, I think is a really, that that's a bullseye you should be aiming for um, in today's market, yes. right? A hundred percent. And I love a great example, right? Your wife, solopreneur, 
um, you know, I have no idea what your wife charges. So I'm just, I'm making up a number here, right? Like, so let's say the hourly rate is 200 bucks an hour. Yeah. That's the number the customer sees period. End of story. I think it, and from their eyes, it's sometimes it's probably relational, right? Uh, sometimes it's probably more transactional. Again, I mean, I'm not saying specifically about your wife's business, but I'm saying in general as a solopreneur, depending on the type of business you have, but that's what the customer sees. I'm getting, I'm paying X, I'm getting Y. Right. And that's kind of it for them, you know, but from, from the side of the, of the business owner for, so from, for someone in your wife's seat, if, if if I'm charging, you know, charging $200 an hour, let's say, right. Well, obviously, you know, at that point she's building all of her overhead in, right. All of her expenses. Right. So it's, it's, it's not just the time in front of the client, right. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the, it's the prep time. It's the, you know, whatever after time she has to spend, it's the bookkeeping, it's the invoicing, it's, you know, um, any kind of other marketing stuff that has to be done that goes out to get that type of customer that was just in front of her. And basically what I'm talking about is all the stuff the customer doesn't see that ultimately factors into what you charge, whether it's hourly rate per project, uh, price per widget, whatever the case is, right? Um, and at a certain point, kind of like what you're just saying is, is well, I have customer A or client A and, and customer B. Customer A, they just their total time sucked, and 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 yeah. you know it's just it's not a good fit. I'm spending all this extra time, and so instead of 200 bucks an hour, the way it works out is my hourly rate is really like 50 bucks with this client, whereas this other client really fits my model, and it does come out to that true 200 dollars an hour. And then when I net out all those expenses and all the other time, I'm happy with where I am as a business owner, right? Yeah. So kind of like it's a. It, they're, you know, you have, you could have two customers that at face value look the same, but in your experience with them and, and the, what we have to provide them from a service perspective becomes very dichotomous. And if we're not mindful of that, I think, I think, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for, for like bleed, right. Um, financially time, um, especially if you're the business owner, uh, you know, just, just kind of emotional and mental capacity, right. Um, yeah. how much do you have to give to those kind of people that are just kind of like sucking the life out of you? <laughs> yeah, it makes it makes me wonder like if places like Amazon or even other places have some sort of algorithm that goes time suck, return cost, like all of these sorts of things. How do they decide if they're going to make that customer happy today or if they're going to push back or something like that? And how do we as smaller businesses or or solopreneurs like make those determinations. I think that's that's a good question to ask ourselves. I think it's an important question, and and you have to have a mechanism for saying no to certain people. Um, you know, it's uh, I talked about the baseball card business, right? So I one of the out one of the places I sell on is eBay because it's it's easy, right? It's, it's it creates a very liquid marketplace and has a, it fits a certain need. Um, eBay gives you an option to block certain people from buying or bidding on your stuff. And I've, when I saw that initially, this is quite a while ago, when I saw that initially, I, I, I couldn't really understand the logic behind it. But then as I started to interact with and engage with, with people, right. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like, thank, it's like, you it's met like, John. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm like, Oh man, like, are you kidding me with some of this? Like, um, and, and, you know, listen, I have a love-hate relationship with, with eBay, mostly hate, frankly. But, you know, th this is a very interesting tool that they've built in. To, 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 it's one of the few things they do to help sellers. Um, 
And like I said, at first I really, I was like, what would you do that for? And, and it's, it's actually something that's come in really handy for me because over time, just having that idea in the back of my head that that, that possibility existed helped me to kind of think through who is my, who is my ideal customer? Who are the kind of people I want to engage with? Um, you know, because that happens to be a particular type of business where you can, yeah, you get some, some unsavory characters in it. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, from everything, you know, fraud and, and all this kind of stuff. So, um, you know, there's just certain people you don't want to engage with. Right. And, and so to have this mechanism where you can say, whether it's based on my ethics, my morals, um, my values, my bottom line, or, or any combination thereof, this kind of person just doesn't have a place for my business. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's really important, but I I think a lot of people are afraid to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I you know, like I had a really funny thought. I was like, I wonder going back to Harry Selfridge, like I wonder if he got driven out by the mob in Chicago and that's where he <laughs> developed this thing. The customers always right, they're always right. Uh <laughs> Because I mean, yeah, it, it'd be really hard to say no in those circumstances, and I I know that takes us completely off track, but that was just a funny thought that I had because we were trying to figure out what happened to Harry going from Chicago to London. I, I mean, maybe he had to go that far to get away from Al Capone before he got busted for tax fraud. <laughs> you know, I who knows? Who knows? Um, yeah, but so so thinking about this again from an organizational perspective, whether it's small business, large business. Anyone who's listening to this who might not be sold on the idea, right? That that, or maybe their parents taught them, hey, you know what? You as the customer, you're always right, and they've heard that since they were 12 years old, and and so they just think that that, that that's it. It's been drilled into my head, um, you know, depending on whatever generation you grew up in, right? That 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 could be a thing. So so maybe let's talk through some of the things that. I don't know, to me, I think make a compelling case for why the customer isn't always right. Um, the first thing that jumps up in my mind is, because um, we talked about happiness before, you cannot make everybody happy and you are going to die trying if you do. Right. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I run into this a lot where, especially with again, newer business owners. Um, in fact, I've, I've, I've coached kind of, I mean, I use that word pretty loosely. I, you know, I don't have a coaching certification. It's, it's more of like a mentoring kind of thing. Um, some other folks who kind of tried to, to get a consulting business off the ground for themselves. And, you know, the, almost every time the, the initial inclination is just to be a jack of all trades, right? I Because how could I possibly turn a piece of work down when I'm just starting out, right? When I'm, I'm worried about what I'm going to bring in next month and you're telling me how, 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 how could you have the audacity, right? To tell me, don't take that piece of work because it, it might not fall squarely within my skill set. Um, Cause that's really hard. And then, but you know, once you open that, Pandora's box, <clears throat> then you think you can kind of do a little bit of everything. And and when you find yourself doing a little bit of everything, it, and this is my opinion, I want to know what you hear about it, uh, or you think about it rather. Um, when you start doing a little bit of everything, you, you're really not that great at anything. Um, and I don't think you end up with too many happy customers. I agree. Yeah. 
in, in the example of your business, you can't have expertise in everything. On the flip side, I think one of the things that our culture and business with how quickly it's evolving demands is that we be agile learners. So mm. if you're an agile learner, like you just got to figure out like, how are you presenting that? Because if you're looking for expertise and you did like, you have it, let's, let's just, you know, when I think expertise, I think of the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours, right? Like something that just, I think that's a good, easy benchmark that helps us with that. Um, but where can I also be an agile learner of something to try to be helpful or useful in my business or in the company that I work with or something like that? Sure, sure. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And and again, that's not to say you can't learn and acquire new skills over time. But I think I think you need to be able to reasonably take an inventory of what can we do? What can we provide? Product or service, doesn't matter, at this very moment in time. Um, and I think that's a little more difficult on the service side of things, right? Like, cause when you're, when you're, whether it's, you know, manufacturing or your middle, middle entity for a product, right. It's, a, it's a very tangible thing. It's whatever, whatever it is, whether it's books or, you know, washing machines, it really doesn't matter. Right. Like if you don't have the thing, you don't have the thing. You kind of, you can't really say I can get, I mean, you can say I can give you something and then you can charge people for it and never, I mean, I don't think that ends well for you. Right. But, um, you, you can't say you can give the thing if you don't have the thing to give. Um, I think on the service side, you know, that's, that's more difficult, but no, I mean, your points, your points well taken. And and yeah, I think, I think that's, that's important to recognize that, you know, as your business grows and evolves, you can take on new things. Right. Um, I mean, that's, so if you were doing like a multi-project thing for a company, Seth, and like, let's say six months from now, it demanded you to know more about this particular topic skill to help them with, but these other things in the next six months are something that you could do well where you're sitting right now. I'm just, I'm just wondering, I'm just curious here. Would you take that and say, yes, I can do that or have something ready for that six months from now? I would be totally candid. I would say, look, I can do, I can do these things. I can do a, B and C that you want right now today. Yeah. I would say for, for, you know, that, that other thing that's six months from now, um, you know, I, I would just be honest about where if, if it's like marginally within my skill set, I would say that if it's completely out of my depth, I would say that um, if it's something that I, you know, I, I said, look, if I, if I do A, B and C, I spend six months around you guys, um, you know, for five hours a week, 10 hours a week, whatever, I, I think I'll, I think I'll be able to get there. Um, and that's up to you to, to trust me if you think that's a good idea. Um you know, or, or a lot of times I will refer it to, to somebody else I know um, because, you know, they then they can benefit and, and those things usually kind of have a way of coming back around. So, yeah, I think I think transparency is like the biggest thing. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Let customers make their own decisions. Um, yeah, I, I, I like that because like as I was thinking about this topic, like I, I work with colleges and universities and sometimes mm-hmm. like with the software as a service type of work that we do and some of the marketing work that we do, some of the colleges, universities can get desperate when they're not seeing the results that they want to see. And so they're like, listen, I just want to do A, B, and C. And on my end, I've got to be able to say, listen, I've watched three schools do this. Here was the result. It led to a dead end for them. Like the customer can't be right in that in that instance because I know kind of like I can understand like where that desperation's coming from, 
Uh, and so I think empathy is really important with the customer. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, Understanding sure. like what's driving that decision that they're trying to make. Mm -hmm. uh, but then also because I understand the product, because I understand the market that we're in, I think it's my job to kind of be like a travel guide of going, you probably want to avoid this road here. <laughs> like yeah. it's kind of like you're the you're the ways for the customer. You probably yeah. want to avoid this road and go this direction because um it'll it'll be happier for you if you if you did because if you if the customer is always right and they're making wrong decisions and you could have prevented it ultimately you're going to end, end up with an unhappy customer that you could have actually made happy no you're right and i mean to kind of piggy on that like you know if they still want to be right even after you've said to them look at I think you're going down the wrong road here. And this is why I actually have evidence to support this. Right. And they still want to be right in their own eyes. Then you can say, okay, but I'm not going to be the one to go down that road with you. You can find somebody else to go down that road with you. Right. Um, but I'm not going to have you mad at me because you're not going to remember this conversation in six months when it doesn't work. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're going to think it was at best our idea, yeah. right. Together jointly. At worst, you're going to tell me it was my idea, um, if, even though we're both sitting here. If you're contracted know, out, it's always your idea. <laughs> yeah, it's always your idea, right? Because the person you're talking to has someone above them that they have to report to and are accountable to if this doesn't work. Yeah. And surely they're not going to take the blame. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's 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 a lot there. Um, I think one of the other things and and. I mean, you know this about me. One of the things I, I studied a lot um, in you know more formal academic setting, what's now gosh feels like forever ago, um, was innovation, right? And and so uh, I think you know, hopefully any business is constantly kind of innovating, evolving, you know, whatever that looks like. To you. That's that's topically speaking, that's a whole another time for us, and I'm sure we'll we'll get into that at some point, but. When you're talking about products and services, and again, I think this is kind of the, the customer identification piece. Whatever you're offering to people, it should it should fall somewhere. You know, it should it should it should kind of be like there should be this bell curve, right? Where where you should have a very small percentage of people who absolutely love what you have to offer. Like they're you're just you're they're your insanely crazy fans, and then you honestly should have some people who really hate it. And then there should be this large group in the middle that, that where you have to spend the bulk of your time trying to sift through, right? See who out of that group you should be trying to win over. Yep. Um, because if you think you have a product or a service that's going to land all the way on the far side of that bell curve where everyone's just going to go wildly, insanely crazy for it, um, you're, you're, you're chasing the impossible. And, and I would say like uh, to like you you were saying you did a lot of studying and in innovation. Like if you base your innovation on customer opinion, by the time you're able to get that built, they're going to want something different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and there's a really um, there's there's this really interesting um, a TED talk. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell did. Year, I mean, I'm going back. I think it was 15 years ago. Um, and he tells the story much better than I do, obviously, and it was 20 minutes. I'm going to 
try and synthesize this in about 10 seconds. But anyway, he was talking about this guy he he knew, or I think he knew, or, or maybe he just researched, I'm not sure. But he was like a kind of like a food scientist. There was a more technical term. And, and anyway, this guy, um, he had a PhD from, from Harvard, I believe, and, and um, these different food companies would, would hire him. And, and the first one was Pepsi. And um, they wanted to know what the perfect formula for diet Pepsi was. And, and basically his kind of notion was that you don't need the perfect Pepsi, you need the perfect Pepsis because as he, you know, went around and gave people different sweetnesses, different, whatever of Pepsi, the, the, none of the data made sense. It was, it was like kind of like this smattering all over the place. And basically you have people that like really sweet Pepsi, not so sweet Pepsi, something in the middle kind of Pepsi. And nobody was buying into this notion of um, you need variety, right? Because people don't, really know what they want <laughs> or they right. have a hard time deciding or not everybody just squarely fits into one classification and and the first company i think that bought into it i can't remember if it was ragu or prego it was one of the two pasta sauces and and he basically said you don't need this kind of pasta sauce you need chunky garden cheese uh extra thick etc and that's how we got 30 different kinds of pasta sauce on our grocery shelves to this day like the the, the long tail of marketing right like that yeah. you have the yeah. long tail of everything yeah and and so i mean um it's you know uh, so basically you know it's like a lot of times one people don't know what they want and 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 two it's not like they're able to settle on this one thing forever so it's like if you're you know again if you're trying to design that one perfect thing that one perfect service that one perfect product um it's just you're kind of chasing your tail forever yeah. yeah i agree i agree with you um and this has been good i know we're i know we're getting to the end here wrapping up yeah uh, i know we only have a couple of minutes but you know it just it, real quick you know kind of kind of before we get to the action points I, you know the, the other thing i think it's important to mention is again from the customer perspective is the customer always right listen some people are going to complain no matter what mm-hmm a lot of people are going to complain no matter what, right? And like some people just want to get a ride on your coattails, Dan. I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. That that's what it is. And yeah. so, I mean, again, you know, you need um, you need mechanisms for that. And then some people are going to, you know, try and get one over on you. And I don't think that's a jaded perspective. I just think that's kind of part of the world we live in, man. Like a lot of times, you know. <laughs> people are, are looking out for number one <laughs> that's sometimes it's cutting corners too so yeah all that to say not every customer is a, is a good customer and so the customer you know there's a lot of reasons the customer can't always be right so anyway takeaways practical takeaways from you for whether it's aspiring business owners business owners of of you know mid large size companies whatever the case is can i just tell a funny story real quick please uh, about uh trying to get one over uh, my my first job i worked in a church and this was the days before wireless internet existed in in places like we were getting our first wireless router for the church and we went to best buy and we bought it we took it back to the church and opened it somebody had returned like an old school like printer type of thing inside of there in place of the wireless router and so <laughs> We, we took it back to Best Buy, and what was funny was the person helping us at returns looked at the pastor of the church, my my, my boss, and said, how do I know you didn't do it? And the look on his face, he was so offended <laughs> that they believed that he did that. And so it just that's just what came to mind about like trying to get one over uh, on 
on it. So that's that's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, I would say with, with the customers always right. Like I, I go back to that statement I said at the beginning, the customer is always relevant. Like I I think I think it's important to figure out how you can make people happy with the product that you you offer, the service that you offer. But I, I would also say like make sure that you're doing enough with like your internal employees to understand what are the pitfalls that they're seeing in the implementation of that product or yeah. um, the service or whatever. And if you're, and if you're that person serving people like, like myself, like don't, or like you Seth, like don't be afraid to say like, that's a, that's a bad choice because as, as we said throughout this podcast, like they're, they're not going to remember that they're the ones who made that choice. So uh it's it's hard to do in the moment sometimes, but be brazen enough to say no. You're you're actually wrong in that. I think that it would it would really hurt, harm you to make that decision or take that action. Yeah, yeah. No, I like that. That's good. Um, yeah, for me, I mean, I think it's as a business decide what you want to be and what you can be, right? And and I think when you really do that it'll help put the customer piece into focus maybe better than it is today. Um, and if, listen, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if you're saying, look at customer above all else, be careful and, and, and have some, first of all, have some mechanisms in place to say, all right, is there an end point to that? Is, is there a point where we stop to say, um, we won't tolerate a certain thing because if if your if your end game is look at the customer, we value the customer more than anything else, and and they're right no matter what. Um, man, get ready because your employees are going to get beaten down, mm, yeah. and they're going to get burnt out, and and your your business is going to be a revolving door for staff because you know the the morale is going to be horrible. Um, people are just going to feel beat up, man, day in day out. Um. And nobody wants to work in that environment. So that's something I didn't get to get to, but there's a Richard Branson quote where he says, clients do not come first. Employees come first. If you take care of your employees, they'll take care of your clients. Yeah. Uh, like if, if you're thinking of values and principles for your company when it comes to customers. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, exactly. And, and that's, and that's the other thing. I, one of the other things I was going to mention is, you know, know your values, right. And consistently stand up for them. And um. I think that if we're all being honest, that can be difficult at times, but it's like you have them in place for a reason. And then, you know, just being transparent. I think if you give people the best, the most possible information and the best information that's available to you, right. As the, as the, as the organization, whether you're selling product or service, if you give people the most possible information you can disclose and let them make the most informed decision they can, most of the time it's going to work out. Most yeah. of the time, not all the time. It's not bulletproof. But most of the time, <laughs> that's all well, I got. Good. I, this was a good conversation, Seth. I think there might be more here, and I'm I'm hoping we get some feedback from folks. Um, yeah, that'd be nice. if you're listening on Spotify, you can send us a voice message. You can email us at thebusinessbullseye at gmail .com. You can text us at seven five seven three five four one five four three, or hit up our LinkedIn page and leave a comment there. But um, I'm I'm grateful for the conversation, and I'm grateful for. The nuance that comes with this uh, customer is always right. There's a lot more there than I thought there was, actually. Yeah, it's exciting. Well, Seth, until next time, go Buckeyes. And uh, I, 
<laughs> enjoy, enjoy, enjoy your off season. I'll see you later. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Bye.